So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Yeah, sometimes cyber attacks can be like farts, though. Silent but deadly. Well, this know? is the thing. There's a huge amount going on in the background. <laughs> um, I know there have been fears of chemical warfare, Carol, but that, <laughs> that's gone a step too far. Um, that maybe that's what did for Roman Abramovich and that negotiating team. Maybe it wasn't a chemical agent. Maybe it was just a huge air biscuit that someone floated. And, um, but anyway. Smashing Security, episode 268. LinkedIn deepfakes, doxing Russian spies, and a false alarm. With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 268. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And we are joined by podcast royalty. It is... <laughs> the king! <laughs> the Lazarus Heist's Jeff White. Hello, how are you both? The Lazarus Heist, it's its not just a podcast, is it? It's going to be something else. It, it is is—it is now a book. It, it will, will be a book in June. Um, I wrote the book in four months, which was that's good going. tight. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be out in June. And it, it doesn't just go the podcast, it goes the whole hog and, and does loads of other stuff about North Korean cyber war, North Korea's uh, alleged computer hacking campaigns, full nine yards. And there are just some bonkers stories. I mean, it just gets more and more outlandish the more you cover it, that story. Well, we're going to read all about it because we've pre-ordered. Yay, which you can do now. Well, we have. Yeah, both of us Yeah, have. we'd like it signed. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. 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 Next um, time we see I've got you, a question for you, Jeff. Considering all the trouble that Sony Pictures got into after the mm. interview, that movie, which sort of made fun of the yes. North Korean leader, are yes. you at all worried about uh, publishing this book? I do hate this question because, I mean, the answer, obviously, the answer is yes. Uh, we take a lot of, you know, we take a lot of measures and steps to try and protect ourselves. And yeah, the, the irony of reporting on a major media company that did something North Korea didn't like and then got hacked as a major media company reporting on something North Korea doesn't like. Um, the irony on both the BBC and Penguin, the publisher of the book, was not wasted. Um, so we have, we have made a strenuous efforts, but look. You never say never. I mean, you know, nobody's 100% secure, are they? So all I can say is, so far, we seem to be safe, and we fully intend to keep ourselves that way. <laughs> yeah, well, the cover the cover is not giving anything away, though. <laughs> no, well, Kim Jong-un on the cover was a sort of bold move. Yep, um, I would say so. <laughs> there was discussions about that, um, about how that would work, and what was tolerable and what wasn't tolerable, and could we sort of, you know, change the colour of his face to fit the thing? Is that like, no, we're not sure about that. So there's lots of discussions about what you can do to Kim Jong-un's face, basically. 
As long as it's a flattering photograph, surely he won't mind, as long as it makes him look good. Given the subject matter, it's difficult to get a flattering photograph, I think, of Kim Jong-un. Be very careful, Jeff. (laughs) This is when the hack is going to begin. Did you see the video of their latest missile launch, the the astonishing video they put out? I heard of it, but I did not see it. No. Oh, God. It was... It was almost, I had to, I really had to double check. I thought, I want to retweet this, but I have to double check that it's not a parody yes. because it really, really looks like a parody. Yes. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's like Fast and Furious meets, well, meets Pyongyang. It's just weird. Wow. And that's the thing. The problem is these videos that, you know, it's hard not to find it entertaining, but obviously it, there is a nuclear threat behind it all. So you have to really sort of balance yeah. your, your emotions on that. <laughs> Shall we get this show on the road, boys? Why not? Yay. Let's first thank this week's sponsors, Collide and Keeper Security. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm thinking of Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, Graham. Uh, what about you, Jeff? We're going to take a trip to Ukraine. Ooh, and I'm taking a trip to sunny Pittsburgh. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, oh yes. Yes, but no. (laughs) Yeah, Carol, your situation on LinkedIn is a little bit odd, isn't it? Because you have an account. I I sometimes tag you in my posts. um, Yeah. I'm on there very rarely. I go in maybe once a quarter or once every six months and respond. (laughs) I'm not even connected with you. Wait, I'm connecting now. There we go. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, it'll take a while. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) take a while to be accepted. Well, I used to be really strict about who I connected with on LinkedIn. I didn't like to accept LinkedIn requests from any old Tom, Dick or Harry. I didn't even accept LinkedIn requests from people who worked at the same company as me or even in the same department. I had a very simple rule, which was I'd only accept a LinkedIn connection if it was someone who I would feel comfortable coming round to my house and having dinner at my dinner table. So Graham and the two people... The, the smallest LinkedIn following in the world goes to Graham Cooley. 100% attendance. Well, all of that changed when I became a freelancer. And I loosened up a bit. And I realised, you know what? I'm going to link in with bloody everyone. I'm going to pretend to be friends with people who I don't know. I'm going to accept LinkedIn requests from just about everyone. Not quite everybody, but pretty much. I mean, obviously, people who are sort of into blockchain and stuff like that. I refuse their connections. But generally... Do you uh, do, you do upon request job recommendations? Oh, yes. Oh, I could maybe... Hang on. There's a, maybe it's saying I could... Make a bit of wonga? I could monetize <laughs> there. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> just look, insert name here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's brainstorm that after the podcast. I quite like that idea. But yeah, I, 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 it doesn't matter if I've never heard of you, never met you, will never meet you, the more the merrier. But sometimes people break etiquette. Sometimes people send me a LinkedIn connection, right? And that's fine. But then they try to talk to me. Oh. And that's okay, I guess, if they want to say something nice about the podcast or book me to speak at an event. But it's pretty tedious when they say, oh, maybe we could set up a call sometime to talk about your requirements as a company. Or can I come and work for your company? It's like I'm a one-person band. It's a business connection site. That's I the whole that. point. I get that too, though. People say, oh, Jeff, you know, I've, I've, I've heard you're hiring information analysts. Yes. It's like, have you? <laughs> With what money? I'm... I'm one person. And now you understand why I'm never on it. (laughs) Well, I think a a lot of people are probably a lot more patient than I am. Because I just instantly, if someone does that, if if someone does that and it annoys me, I just remove the connection. I just think, oh, clearly you're, 
using this for some ulterior purpose, whereas I definitely wasn't. But but some people don't do that. Some people are, are more willing to connect, like Renee Darista of Stanford University, for instance. She received a LinkedIn message from a woman called Keenan Ramsey. Okay. And Keenan said she was a member of the same LinkedIn group as Renee, and she sent her a little cheery greeting, hi there, and some grinning emojis. And after a bit of chit-chat, she swiftly moved on to the sales pitch. And she said, mm-hmm. oh, quick question. Have you ever considered or looked into a unified approach to message video and phone on any device anywhere? Cool. Who hasn't? <laughs> you know, Cut and, that, and paste. Yeah, exactly. And you just think, oh, here we go. Have you Have you ever? That's the worst have you ever question is ever, isn't it? Have you ever? Have you ever? Because <laughs> if you say yes, you engage. And if you say no, well, let me tell you all about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because anyway, so Keenan's profile revealed to Renee that uh, she worked for Ring Central and had been working there since September 2019. And Ring Central, if you don't know, they're a business communication solution offering web meetings and video calls. It's a bit like Zoom, all that kind of jazz for your company. Like for businesses, though? Or? Yeah, for businesses. Yeah, right. And prior to that, Keenan, according to her profile, worked at a cloud firm, Mirantis. Prior to that, she was a marketing specialist at a firm called Language IO, and she's got a degree in business admin from New York University. She's got 300-odd connections. It all kind of checks out. Legit, legit, mm. legit. Yeah, mm. no red flags at the moment. Well, apart from the fact that I'm mentioning this on the podcast. Yes, which well. Which instantly. <laughs> I was just trying to build some tension, Graham. Yes. It sets your antenna off, doesn't it? You think this isn't a norm. Why would Graham be speaking about this otherwise? So Rene Darista, who received this message, she wondered, what what's going on here? Right? She was a bit suspicious about it. She thought, is this an attempt to fish some sensitive information. Maybe there's going to be a click here to set up a meeting mm, kind of link. That's what I was you know, thinking, yeah. Yeah. Is it just business or is there an intention to steal information or something like that? She thought that particularly when she received an identical LinkedIn message with the same emojis from someone else claiming to work at Ring Central. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I mean, lots of call centers have scripts. So there may be, there could be a marketing script. Right. Hmm. Maybe. And then Renee received an email, an email, not a LinkedIn message, from a third Ring Central employee, which referenced the message sent to her initially by Keenan Ramsey. Mm. God, I'm over like hives. It's just, it's just right. swarm. They're, they're really keen on Renee DeResta. And the thing is about Renee DeResta of Stanford University is. She has a very particular set of skills, skills she's acquired over her career, skills that mean <laughs> she is one of the few people in the world who can spot the telltale signs of an AI-generated image. She's an expert oh. in deep fake imagery. Oh. So she looked at the profile picture that Keenan had used on her profile, and she thought, this is a... she thought oh. she's only got one earring. Right. And normally, okay, that's not unusual, really. Well, apparently on LinkedIn, it's a little bit unusual. Your profile picture, most people will have more than one earring. Remember right? both earrings, yeah. yeah they're they're balanced out. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, you have a lopsided image. Right? <laughs> what do you like? Also, her eyes were aligned precisely in the centre of the photograph, right, in the middle of the picture. Mm. So imagine you had an image which was 500 pixels by 500 pixels. The eyes are bang right where you would expect them to be, 
right? And the cross. That could be a cropping thing, though. It could be, but it's a level of professionalism. The background mm. was blurred and vague; didn't look like anything in particular. And yeah. some strands of Keenan's hair appeared to blur into this background, and so it just got Renee's spider senses tingling. Right. She mm-hmm. knew something odd was going on. She thought, "This is weird. This is weird." So what she did was she contacted Ring Central, mm-hmm. and she said, uh, "Can I speak to uh, Keenan Ramsey, please?" And Ring Central said, "Oh, we don't have any employee by that name." Ding, ding, ding. Ah. <laughs> and then she spoke to Language IO, and they said, no, no, we've got no records of her ever having worked for us. Mirantis, the company she worked for allegedly between Language IO and Ring Central, they said they couldn't share any employee information without written authorization from the employee. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how you get that written authorization when the person is a fake. <laughs> You would think the company would say, oh, no, we haven't had anyone work called that here. But anyway. Yeah. If, well, they're not an employee if they haven't worked there. Therefore, exactly. that's null and void. Yeah, you would mm. think so, wouldn't you? New York University, they said, no, nobody called Keenan Ramsey has ever received a degree here. Now, people lie on their CVs and LinkedIn profiles all of the time. Right, Carol? <laughs> I don't know. I don't hang out there. Oh. Are you suggesting I lie? Am I, is when, there anything you want to point out to well, me? Maybe, maybe we should take a look at it right now. Maybe we should. I'm very happy. <laughs> Go for it. You're in school uniform, Coel, on your LinkedIn profile. That's, how old, that's how old it is. It's not actually a photograph. It's a brass rubbing. It's that old. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing a puffball skirt and pixie boots. Exactly. When, when, was this, when was this taken? <laughs> so what happened then was Rene decided, well, I'm going to look up the LinkedIn profiles of the other people who contacted me claiming to work mm. for Ring Central. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Same story. Yeah. Work and educational histories didn't pass. The sniff test, the image appeared to be deep faked. And the third contact she had, the email from a Ring Central employee that referred to the email from the fake Keenan, that was a genuine worker at Ring Central. So why are fake people being used by Ring Central? To get people to make contact with them. So it's fake, mm-hmm. fake, real was the. Was so the, the email was real and then two fake yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So Rene got together with one of her colleagues at Stanford University, a chap called Josh Goldstein. They started investigating. They found more than 1,000 accounts that appear to use AI generated images, which is a breach of LinkedIn's rules. Mm-hmm. And they then. <laughs> And when they searched for evidence that those people actually existed on the internet, they found no evidence that they were real. So normally, if you find someone on LinkedIn, mm, you can mm, find yeah. other evidence that they exist. Mm, I don't. I just. I kind of get the idea of people using deep fakes in order to kind of hide their real ugliness. Yeah, maybe ugliness, or also that you wouldn't mind someone that approximates you, but it's not exactly you, just to well, obfuscate yourself from AI recognition software. I don't li- know. It seems a little bit uncomfortable if you're going to get into some sort of business trust relationship with someone. If you're, I mean, presumably you're also lying about your name, are you? you you're comfortable with your name, but not with your photograph? Mm, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, it's against LinkedIn rules. I mean, there have been studies done which said that people trust average kind of faces more so if you are particularly odd um sorry graham well (laughs) if (laughs) if you have some sort of peculiarity in your face whether it be astounding beauty and handsomeness Mm. (laughs) or whether it be you're a bit fugly then people are less likely to trust you. But if you're sort of average, then it works. But you're going to have a meeting with these people at some stage where you turn up and they go, wait, 
you're not a cross between Brad Pitt and George Clooney. You're fugly. <laughs> and at that point, any trust you've worked up is going to vanish pretty damn well, are quickly. You, are you going to have a meeting, though, Jeff? Are you going to have a meeting? Because these days... It's all remote, isn't it? I suppose that's true. You could go on Zoom. Yeah, and, and your foot's in the door, right? Right. Yeah, hideously ugly foot's in the door then. <laughs> yeah, your monster claw. Ah. <laughs> so what the Stanford researchers found was that most of these fake accounts all had similar kind of jobs. They said, we're business development managers, we're sales mm. development, we're demand generation. So it's all <sighs> about getting leads. And as a great report in NPR describes... The researchers, Rene and Josh, they discovered this whole undercover industry of firms that create fake LinkedIn profiles that then reach out to potential customers and set up meetings for in-house salespeople, like, for instance, <laughs> at Ring Central. Is that because it's a time saver and a resource saver? So you have, what, AI-generated profiles? Mm. Or they're just fake. they're just fake profiles in case someone reports them. They're like, oh, we don't know. They don't exist here. Well, it's not. I don't understand. It's not being done directly by the company which eventually gets the sales lead. So the the companies yeah. which interest in the sales lead, they sort of farm them out to service companies and third parties. They don't really care how they get the leads. It's just like if you can help us, that's great, yeah. and we'll turn a blind eye to what you're doing. Well, that's true. I can understand that. If if you've got thousands of people on LinkedIn who are potential leads, and you want to narrow those down to the sort of five hundred hot leads. A company that says, look, we've got we've got five hundred people who said yes to a meeting, that's they're the people you want to contact, not the thousands of people who ne- would never respond. It's just a filtering exercise, isn't it? It's an AI filtering exercise. It is, but they're claiming to work for Ring Central. They're claiming to have all nice. this background and all this nice. fake information on their CV. Yeah, there's a credibility question. Mm-hmm. It's like why aren't they using their own images? Is it because yes. they're too ugly? Why aren't they saying who they really work for? No, what, is, what does Ring Central say? Do they say, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem? Well, well, <laughs> they've issued a kind of apology. They said, while this may have been an industry-accepted practice in the past, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. going forward, we do not think this is an acceptable practice and is counter to our commitment to our customers. So, sorry, not sorry. Kind mm. of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. NPR, they didn't give up in their investigation. And they contacted a whole load of companies who were offering this kind of service. And each one they contacted were kind of like, oh, no, no, no <laughs> we don't do that anymore. We used to do mm-hmm. that. We used to do that fake profile. And they removed evidence of it from their website. The Ring Central employee who contacted Rene, he's very helpfully left the company and isn't <laughs> returning any messages. So he's disappeared. <laughs> It's all a big, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. For its part, LinkedIn, they say in their latest transparency report that it's removed more than 15 million fake accounts, although most of those, that, that was in the period of six months during 2021, most of those happen at the time of registration rather than later once you're active. They're looking for suspiciousness there. So hmm. it does appear there's a, a fair amount of that going on. And w- what was interesting to me when I read this report, and it is worth reading and digging a little bit more into it, was that this is the use of deep fake AI imagery, not for disinformation and misinformation, but for something rather more mundane, just mm. a way of generating leads. And if, you know, it's fascinating that the technology is now being adopted by just about anybody because it's so easy to create fake images of realistic looking people. Mm. Graham, we have to make full circle now. So how many of your connections <laughs> on LinkedIn do you think? I know. 
We have to start looking at their central eye positionings. Wait, I'm looking at Carol's picture here. The eyes are in the middle. (laughs) How do you know I'm a Cyclops? (laughs) Jeff, what have you got to talk about this week? I am going to take us to the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which is in a lot of ways a very drear topic. However, However, there is something absolutely stunning that's come out of the last couple of days, which I just think is really worth having a look at, because it sort of indicates where we are with the kind of cyber conflict. Because I think a lot of people were assuming when there was an, another big war mm. that, that cyber would be, you know, it'd be a mm. cyber war, you know, that we'll see all these cyber attacks and, you know, robotic tanks and all that kind of thing. And we just haven't seen it, in, frankly, so far that we know of in Ukraine. Yeah, sometimes cyber attacks can be like farts, though, silent but deadly. Well, this know? is the thing. There's a huge <laughs> amount going on in the background. <laughs> um, I know there have been fears of chemical warfare, Carol, but that, <laughs> that's gone a step too far. Um, that maybe that's what did for Roman Abramovich and that negotiating team. Maybe it wasn't a chemical agent. Maybe it was just a huge air biscuit that someone floated. And, um, but anyway, um, uh, look, so th- what's interesting about this is, is there's been a leak, a massive leak of information from the Ukrainian government. This is the details of 625, I think it is, FSB agents, so Russian Secret wow. Service agents, and they've published it. On their website, I'm looking at it right now, and it's just lists of people's names, dates of birth, passport numbers, addresses, mobile phone numbers. Um, oh. It is absolutely astonishing. Oh, so this isn't something which has accidentally leaked no. from the Ukrainian government. They've published it, and they, they basically doxed 600 Russian spies. This is on their website. Wow. I mean, this isn't without precedent. I mean, you'll remember there was a, an incident back in uh, 2018 when a bunch of Russian agents turned up in The Hague and tried to hack into the mm. OPCW, the Organization for Prevention of Chemical Weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, this was after the poisoning attack in the UK, and there was this idea that the Russians were going to the OPCW to try and interfere with the investigation. They got caught and left The Hague, but they couldn't arrest them because these guys were on diplomatic passports. Yeah. But, oh, that must be so frustrating. Oh, my God. I know. You can imagine. Oh, oh damn it. Damn it. Yeah. But what they did do, the authorities, they released the details of the passports. They said, look, these are the passports they were travelling on. So Bellingcat, the investigative website, went and found these passports on a Russian database. And the passports were registered to a particular address. And there was a whole thing about people's cars being registered to this particular address. And clearly, FSB agents were registering their cars to the FSB headquarters. Yes. So they did a reverse search and said, okay, show me all the other cars that are registered here and got a list of 305 Russian agents who'd all registered their cars to the, to the office address. But that was, that was a leak of information uh, legitimately that was then turned by Bellingcat into a database, whereas this is just the Ukrainian government going, here you go. Um, and what's remarkable, I mean, obviously I've been doing a bit of digging into this list. And um, I mean, for a start, some of these guys are on WhatsApp. Um, so I was going to send them an invite to Farmville. I thought, you know, <laughs> they're clearly under the cosh, these poor chaps. And, um, you they know, they might maybe need a bit of entertainment. Bit of distraction. Yeah. yeah. Come and plant a, plant a courgette with me. Um, <laughs> so, so that's the whole point. So there's nothing uh, unclear about it. They are posting all this information to say, yeah. uh, hackers of the world, here you go. Well, this is the thing. Uh, you know, I wonder, we've now got a database here, apparently, of, I should say, alleged Russian agents, FSB agents, because, you know, this right. is... Right, who knows? Covering the Ukrainian government. But if it's right, we've got a list of mobile phone numbers here. I mean, as we know from the sort of NSO Pegasus mobile phone malware mm. story, 
targeting mobile numbers of foreign operatives is something that you can do if you've got the malware. So that's, that's one option. Um, I haven't caught up on whether the whole SS7 mobile phone problems have been sorted, but there was a period of time where you could track people's mobile numbers and send them text messages via the SS7 system. Again, you know, is that going to happen? Also, if I'm a foreign government now and I'm thinking, right, I want to know if I've got any FSB agents in my country, I can take these mobile numbers, give them to the sort of tier one mobile phone provider like BT in the UK, for example, and say, yeah. right, if these if these mobile numbers pop up on our network, um, could you please <laughs> let us know? Because we've got Russian agents in the country. All sorts of stuff you can do with this. Oh, and the other thing that's crazy about this is um, there's little notes on some of these profiles as well. So there's one which is called... Uh, called um, uh, now, what's the name of it? Hang on. Dima. I'm just going to refer to him as, as Dima um, because I don't want to name the guy just in case gets sued and everything. But um, it says Dima, the terrible lieutenant in inverted commas, and it's got his address here. Oh. There's one that says FSB operative late payments on loans. So clearly somebody, Gorbanev Maxim, is behind on his payments. Just oh. astonishing detail in this leak. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Do we know where the Ukrainians got this data from? Uh, no, that is a very good question and one to which we don't know uh, the answer, at least not as far as I've uh, the stuff I've seen. Yeah, we're waiting for people like MI5 or, and the CIA to come out and go, oh, Frank, yeah, yeah, Serge, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I wonder if it'll be annoying to other uh, secret services because they may have had access to this information already. True. And, and maybe we're burned. trailing and tracking some of these mobile yeah. phone numbers. And now, yeah. basically, the balloon's gone up, hasn't it, to all those it agents it change your mobile phone numbers. And what if what if some of them are double agents, right? Ooh, yes. And very, how very that hurts possible, the yeah. contacts with maybe information. Yeah. But the other thing is, I mean, Russia does seem to be a very leaky place data-wise. I mean, there's an investigation on BBC the other day, which BBC and, again, Bellingcat, this investigative journalist's mm. uh, investigative outfit, um, where what they've done is they they got travel documents and they tracked the movements of Russian opposition activists. And then they tracked who was on the same plane and the same train at the same time and effectively worked out who was tracking these guys around the world. And it's like, okay, here's an FSB agent who's basically on the same plane and same train as this opposition activist at exactly the same time, they're clearly yeah. being tailed. And this is in advance of, of, of the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. So, mm-hmm. um, but they got that a lot of the information. Um, Bellingcat says that some of the information came from Russian databases that are just being sort of bought and sold and freely traded. So it does seem like in Russia, you know, if, if you've got deep pockets, you can get hold of information, passport information, travel information, flight information that in the UK just would not be able to get hold of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a leaky place, and I suspect people's sort of willingness, perhaps, to make a cheap buck by leaking information mm. is slightly higher in Russia than it is in a lot of other countries. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, totally. Gosh. Carol, what have you got for us this week? I have a story that has a really big fat takeaway, um, one that's, I think, fairly obvious and should all give us pause. In fact, in fact, at the end... You mm. guys tell me if you think you know what it is. I'll ask you the question. Okay, Ooh, so buckle in because okay. we, yeah. we're heading to okay. Pittsburgh. Got to pay attention now. I was going yeah. okay. <laughs> to be looking at Twitter for the next couple of Can't relax. Okay, so we're heading to Pittsburgh. This is uh, a high-stake drama. Have, you, have either of you ever been to Pittsburgh? I've never been. I no. have not. No. 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 Okay, so uh, we can't give the city any color, but it is Friday in late March 2022, and it's lunchtime at Nova Place. This is a new multi-million dollar redevelopment in the north side of downtown Pittsburgh. And like it boasts restaurants and a fitness center, and uh, Pittsburgh's 
largest co-working space. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you've got people chilling, eating, meeting, sweating. <laughs> you've probably got a subway. They're probably yellow cabs. <laughs> exactly. And then suddenly, <laughs> city and country cops screech into the scene. Ooh. And police start swarming around. And uh, according to one worker at one of the restaurants at Nova Place, said, we heard like this emergency alarm go off. And cops started telling people there was a 911 call saying there was an active shooter on the premises. Mm -hmm. Not good. And I'm sure there was probably a Columbo-style detective there, Graham. Oh, okay. Now you've got my interest. You're you're doing this just to keep me engaged, aren't you? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So I want you to wear the Columbo hat, okay? Yeah, okay. He doesn't wear a hat. (laughs) Okay, a coat, coat, whatever. Winkly Winkly Mac was Columbo, wasn't it? Just just one more thing. That's right. Yeah. A guest at Nova Place, Ted Uminski, said three cops, guns drawn, and they're like, did you guys see anything? And we said no. And they're like, get out of here now. And so, okay, you're eating at a restaurant, right? Do you just get up and leave? Do you leave 20 bucks? Do you leave money or do you hide in the bathrooms? Do you think, what do you do? I take, I take the food with me. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> I'd be running out chowing down. I, I wouldn't get it, you know, I wouldn't stop eating. I'd run and eat. Two mitts full of spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> exactly. It's just jamming it into my face as I head for the exits. I mean, you've got to get calories if you're going to run that fast. <laughs> you might get shot. You'll look like you've been eating brains. <laughs> so, the tomato ketchup may look like blood. That's the danger. Cheers, cheers. So, okay, there's this alarm screeching. There's a gaggle of cops with weapons in hand. There's a frantic public being told to get out of Dodge. Nearby elementary schools um, were to also to- placed in lockdown. I mean, this is not what you hope for, for, you know, pleasant Friday time lunch. No, no, it's not normally. No. It's chaos. Yes. It's chaos. Although you've avoided paying for your lunch. So there is that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Some of us left it behind. Some of us. <laughs> I shoved it in our pockets. So for the next two hours, cops looked for signs of the shooter in the vicinity. Right. Everyone's on high alert, but they come mm-hmm. up with nothing. And so everyone's frustrated. I'm sure the stress was palpable. And uh, yeah. Where's a man with a gun when you want one? You kind of expect you're in America. It shouldn't be hard to find someone acting suspiciously with a weapon. But on this particular occasion, they can't find anybody. Come up blank. (laughs) So, okay, Columbo. Columbo, you're in charge of this operation. What do you do now? You've been told by on a 911 call, there's like, shooter. You're there. Well, who who left this 911 call? Can can we find out who they were? Yes, yes. So, it seems that the frantic 911 caller reported that shots were heard in the Nova Place office building for development. Mm-hmm. And this is the call that made the cops hightail it over. But it turns out the caller was off-site. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So how did they get the information? How far off-site are we talking? Yes. I mean, you know. So what happened to them is that they received a text from one of their bud buds who was hanging out at Nova Place with the words firearm. Uh-huh. So the caller calls the sender, right, to go, what the hell's going on? But there's no answer. So, so just from the message firearm. I mean, I don't know how dangerous Pittsburgh is. Apologies to, you know, but maybe if someone in the States says firearm, you take it seriously. Firearm. But it could be it could be an autocorrect error or something. It could it could have been something. Oh, could it? Yes, 
Well, well, the thing is, the thing is, you know, surely the quicker way to text is go gun <laughs> rather than fire firearms. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a Glock nine millimeter. Was it? No, gun, gun! The exclamation mark. So I'm already skeptical as to why someone would just type firearm. That's uh, very peculiar. Yeah, it's kind of like an unusual word. Totally. And so, uh, Graham, very good to say autocorrect. Oh, really? Hmm. What could it have really been? Do you think? I'm looking at my, key- my phone keyboard now. Okay, I need to find an autocorrect generator. Firearm. Firearm. Okay, now remember, remember there's a noise, there's a screeching noise. Tire. Tire. Um, An alarm no. screeching. Oh, fire alarm? Fire no. alarm. Yes! Fire alarm. So what they meant to write was fire alarm at Nova Place, not firearm at Nova Place. Right. Sending a huge gaggle of cops with guns drawn, scaring the shit out of people having a nice Friday lunch. Mm-hmm. I do feel like the world took a step backwards evolutionary-wise when the iPhone came along and started auto-correcting everything. Because when you had Blackberries and you had a full bloody keyboard... Oh, I love the Blackberry. And you could actually write I love out the words. Yeah. And you would never type write U as just the letter U. You'd write Y-O-U, which is the proper way to do it. And you'd always put a space after a full stop and you'd use capital letters at the beginning of sentences. I just think those were better times. And you wouldn't have had this kind of thing happen. That's a trip down memory lane, isn't it? I was a much better typist on the BlackBerry because I think, you know, you can feel where you are. You're not on a slippery screen. You can kind of count the buttons almost, you know, unconsciously. Like, oh, I'm at the E. You don't even have to look. You can just feel your way across. God, I can't believe the power of you wanting a BlackBerry back. I do. Jeez, jeez, Louise. (laughs) So (laughs) It's just like... I mean, I'm I'm not exactly a spring chicken, but this is like this is like listening to my mum waxing lyrical about about her flip phone that we just had to replace. <laughs> well, it had buttons, yes, mum. This doesn't have doesn't have buttons. No, mum, it doesn't. When we had paper tape and eight inch floppy disks, those were the days. Shall I read you out just for entertainment? My mum's first first text that she sent me. Yes, oh. ever. <laughs> no, on the smartphone. Oh, okay, okay, <clears throat> okay. Here we go. So. No punctuation, all one sentence. Sorry, I was so rushed last night. Woo! Just discovered the word thingy that comes up. Tried taking, ah, photo last night, but took a video instead. Have you any idea how little tulips move? B, please, no idea what is happening now. Kiss, kiss. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds to me like she sent you an end-to-end encrypted message there. It really does. Even Pretty Patel couldn't crack that one. And the lesson is just read a text before you send it, especially if you're in a bit of a panic, because this is what the scammers, tangential tie to security, tend to take advantage of, right? Mm. Mm. You going, ah, 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 ah. Um, I uh, did some recon on other uh, types of autocorrects that happen. Do you have to guess what they tried to say? Oh, okay. Oh, okay, go This is in text messages. So between two lovers, my love is Mm -hmm. so strong. I wish I could buy you a casket if I could. (laughs) <laughs> castle yes castle oh. yes come on <laughs> good it. one okay i devoured a baby in a cab oh bagel nope um kebab no it's the verb actually that's uh wrong oh, right. devouring. Oh, uh, um uh devoured what do you do with a baby D- well mostly devour them but that's just me <laughs> deliver <laughs> oh right it's still quite exciting <laughs> deliver 
Right, okay, yeah. And then there's one like, are you sitting down? Your brother was adopted and actually turned out to be accepted to Yale. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then the final one, do you think you can pickle that up? Pick pickle. All, all that up. Pickle pick. that up. Pick it up. Uh, uh, sticky pickles. There was one I remember, um, which was, do you remember Flirt Divert? Do you ever hear of this service, Flirt no. Divert? No. Flirt Divert was if you, if you, somebody was chatting up in a club and you weren't interested and they asked for your number, you could give them the number for, I think it was a radio show. <laughs> and, and so you, the, the, the text messages and calls would be, would be received and then sort of read out on air the next day. Oh, that's outrageous. And there was one, there's one woman who basically gave, this number to the guy who was trying to chat her up. And then the next day they read out the text. Um, this is a while later, actually, I think, read out the text and said, please call me. I think you may have given me Arabs. <laughs> Which? Crabs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. May have given me crabs. But I had this image of like guys turning up on sort of horseback with like big scimitar swords. Like, <laughs> you've given me Arabs. <laughs> <laughs> Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. So instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Sign up today by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. Enter your email when prompted and you will receive a free Collide goodie bag after your trial activates. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card required. Try it out at smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. And thanks to Collide for supporting the show. So imagine this scenario. You're out of the office unexpectedly and a colleague pings you because they need access to some system you have credentials for. Now, listeners would never send passwords over email or Slack, but what about your co-workers? How many organisations out there are sending logins back and forth in plain text? Worse yet, how many just store all of their logins on a shared spreadsheet? We all know that human errors are the biggest threat to your organisation's security, but did you know that weak or stolen passwords account for over 80% of all data breaches? There are tools out there that allow you to share credentials, set access permissions and monitor the dark web for stolen logins. Keeper Security's enterprise password management platform does just that. Keeper locks down logins, payment cards, confidential documents, API keys and database passwords in a patented zero-knowledge encrypted vault and it takes less than an hour to deploy across your organisation. Sign up for a Keeper free trial for your organisation today and get a free three-year personal plan. So get started by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash keepersecurity. That's smashingsecurity.com slash keepersecurity. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. 
doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my pick of the week this week is not security related. Good. As you know, I like to keep my finger on the pulse. I like to keep up to date with the latest culture, the latest shows that are coming out. The um, obviously, I've I've pre-ordered a copy of the, the Lazarus Heist, so I'm all ready for that as soon as it comes out. Pre-ordered. Thank you very uh, much. Um, but I wasn't quite so quick when it came to watching the Netflix show with Ricky Gervais, Afterlife. Yeah, no, I, I haven't watched the whole thing. I've watched the first season. Well, okay, let's talk about that. So I thought, oh, I'm not sure I like that. I don't know. I mean, the, the premise is it's all about Ricky Gervais's character dealing with life after his wife dies of cancer. Um, and I thought it's going to be cloying, a bit mawkish maybe. And I thought, oh, is it just going to be a bit too on the nose? I don't know. But actually, it's rather lovely. So I've just finished watching the first series. And apparently there are three series. But I feel I've seen enough, probably. I feel, and oh. I find this with a lot of TV shows, is that I like so like to watch the first series, like Killing Eve, for instance. And I think, okay, that was great. I don't want to ruin it now. I feel like you've told the story. You've wrapped it up with a little bow. That I've seen enough. I don't need to see more of the same. So I'm very gingerly going to start the second series, but I wouldn't be surprised if I stopped. But I don't think that should stop other people from checking out Afterlife because... Mm. Just because you have no tension span. <laughs> I, I like to think I'm just too sophisticated. And I really? Like, I, I you think just, sophisticated is the right word? I only had to watch the first series of Game of Thrones, and I thought, all right, I've seen enough boobs and dragons now. I don't need to see more. Discerning would be, would that be the better word, Graham? You're, dis, you're a discerning oh, audience, yeah. Jeff, yeah. I really do recommend everyone pre-orders Jeff's book. <laughs> Oh my Lazarus God, Heist. you guys. <laughs> but anyway, have either of you seen Afterlife? You, Crow, you've seen a bit of it. Well, yeah. I've seen the first series. Um, mm. But yeah, I haven't been yeah. moved to see the second one yet, weirdly. I don't know. I find it quite touching and I think I think it's quite good. I think with second series and indeed third series is, is you need to kind of say where it's where it's going next, what's going to be different, how it's going right. to be different and make that very, very clear. So we watched Fargo, we watched the TV series Fargo which is astonishing because every one of those series is completely different to the one that went before, mm. era-wise, directorially and stuff. So that was quite... But the, but the one with that was there was a jolt when we watched each new series and we were oh, this is different to what we had before, but we ended up really enjoying it. Mm. But at least you, you've demarcated the difference and where it's going to move next. And it's not just going to be the, the first series again, it's going to be something else again. There, there yeah. are some shows where I've carried on. I mean, I, I'm thinking Breaking Bad. I did watch all of Breaking Bad and I thought, that that sort of maintained consistency, and I thought it was still great to watch. But, mm -hmm. Okay, well, anyway, Afterlife is my pick of the week. There you go. Jeff, what's your pick of the week? I'm going to pick a book for my pick of the week, which I finished and I quite enjoyed, um, which is a book called Time on Rock by a writer called Anna Fleming, um, who is a rock climber. Uh, and oh. the book is about her time as a rock climber and how it goes. Um, and it's quite interesting because it sort of starts at the beginning when like most climbers, so I'm a climber myself and you start off terrified and sweaty and, mm. um, you get to the top just panting and gratefully you're still alive. And then gradually you kind of get into it and you work out what you're doing. And it's just a wonderful book where at the end she ends up in a position because a lot of the rock climbing terminology is like fight it and smash it and grip it. And you're like you're conquering you, conquering the rock, you know, like a big pre-apic man. And she sort of, it's interesting because she in the end, stops fighting the rock she's like no don't fight against it 
You know, that's not the way you're going to. And I found that really interesting. And suddenly so her climbing improves and her sort of enjoyment of the thing improves. And I thought, yeah, that's actually really interesting. You know, there's a great quote, which is the, the best climber in the world is the one that's having the most fun. <laughs> yes. I just thought, yeah, that's so true. So often we're trying to, not just in climbing and lots of things, like, I must, can't go and smash it. It's like, yeah, but are you really enjoying it? Mm. And actually learning to not fight and learning to love it. And, yeah, Graham. And, and remembering when you loved it is, uh, is worth doing. So that's Time on Rock by Anna Fleming. I highly recommend it. It's a good, good little book. Uh, can I ask, are you a climber? What? How did this book come in your echo chamber? Yes, I am a climber. My wife oh, I climb didn't know that. Dancer. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Well, Jeff looks like a climber. He's, he's like me. He's got that sort of wiry physique. Right. You know, he's, yes. I can, t- I can exactly totally Exactly like him. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ropey is what I'd say to you. Yeah. When you say look like a climber, I thought you were going to say bruised. <laughs> bruised and <laughs> bleeding, because that's generally how we end up. Yeah. There is something amazing about it. I mean, I'm absolutely petrified of heights, so I couldn't possibly climb at all. Um, and water and uh, ice. And most things. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do find um, climbing quite fascinating. And uh, I, I, mean, I've, I haven't read books about it, but I've seen some amazing documentaries about mm. climbing and... Um, Years ago, I went to see a talk by uh, Joe Simpson, of course, who was the Touching the Void oh, chap, yes. which yes. was um, quite an experience too. Yeah, yeah, another incredible story, an incredible film as well. Yes. I just oh, want yeah. to point out as well, what I also love about Time on Rock is Touching the Void, a film you talked about, and the one Free Solo, the Alex Honnold film, which a lot of people will have seen. Uh, most of these films about climbing being terrifying and death-defying that's not why we climb. And if right. you read Anna Fleming's book, Time on Rock, it's the same thing. You know, it's not all about like, Sylvester Stallone clinging on with one hand in before you die. That's not why we do <laughs> that it. That movie no- was terrifying. Oh, my I know, goodness. I know. Could I know. you do that, though? Could you, if you suddenly, if you were clinging on with one hand, could you hoist yourself up? Uh, the one arm, I, one arm pull up, I don't think so. Adrian, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> A different movie, Graham. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, Time on Walk by Anna Fleming, my, my pick of the week. It's a lovely book. Awesome. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Mine is also a TV series, a brand new one. Mm. It's actually not even the full first series is not already out yet. It's like we're still got two episodes left. So this is on Apple TV and it's a show called Severance. Mm. And it's basically like a high concept show that takes the whole concept of work-life balance and uh, puts it to the extreme. So... You're in this like office type building and you don't really know what you're doing. You're working though. And that's how the series starts. And it turns out that our workers in this nondescript department are innies and they're called innies because they've somehow been chemically severed from their outies themselves, but on the out- outside of work hours. Is this something to do with belly button? Yeah. Yeah, but so, so yeah, so like you go to work, you go through the elevator and you completely forget about your life outside and you totally focus on your crazy job that you have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. And then you go home at night and you, the person outside has no idea who your work person is. The whole idea is that they can't communicate at all or know anything about each other. But of course, a few glitches happen in the story that causes cracks to appear and it all goes a bit nuts. Pretty great cast. You've got Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, John Turturro. How do you say? I've never say his name right. Turturro. Turturro, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, obviously, uh, the famous Christopher Walken's in it as well. Mm. Currently, at time of recording, we're on episode seven on Apple TV. 
So if you want to be in the know when stuff mm, is hot, this is a time to, for a little binge doesn't, session. Doesn't sound like a barrel laughs, Squirrel. <laughs> doesn't sound like it's really jolly. Well, it's not a comedy show, but it's it's fascinating and it's not dark. I don't think it's dark and creepy. No? Okay. It's, it's oh, kind okay. of interesting on how um, it's the opposite of what we've done to ourselves now, where we're like carrying our work phones all oh. the time with ourselves and their laptops and bringing our work mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we've totally meshed in. And I think they've just turned that on its head to say what well, would be like the opposite way. And um turns out not great. So, mm. you want to check it out? It's called Severance. It's from Apple TV, and it is my pick of the week. Marvellous. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Jeff, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do that and find out more about your upcoming book? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm on Twitter's best way, Jeff White. So, G-E-O-F-F, white like the colour, and 247, because I'm Jeff White, 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G, Twitter and Mouse to have a G, and we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app, such as Overcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And high five to this episode's sponsors, Collide and Keeper Security. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists and the entire back catalogue of more than 267 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. place and I suspect people's sort of willingness perhaps to make a cheap buck by mm. leaking information is slightly higher in Washington than it is in, in a lot of other countries so uh, yeah yeah interesting yeah totally mm. talking of things that are leaky Carol what have you got for us this week <laughs> I that's a really well uh, okay well, that's well, I think way. I have no idea what it means <laughs> I, th- I don't know either I think uh, that will probably get edited out <laughs> oh right okay maybe Carol what have you got for us this week <laughs> Um, Okay, so I have a story that has a really big fat takeaway. Um,